Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guest's big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we're here today with Marcus Radar, who is the CEO and founder of HostAway. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Before we get started, can you give our audience a little bit of background on who you are and where you've come from? Absolutely. So um, I'm I'm commonly known in the industry as Marcus from Hostaway. Um, <laughs> I, I go around the train shows uh, and and meet people. Um, I have long blonde hair, which which people usually recognize me from, um, <laughs> and I I I wear wear strange t-shirts um Hostaway you do fit is, in with us as the blondies you know yeah. that right yes yes <laughs> if anybody's now, watching um, on youtube you gotta check it out <laughs> yeah no the reason i i go to a lot of trade shows in the industry is that um i'm the founder of uh of Hostaway, property management system and channel manager and we we have the largest marketplace in the industry so we got over 100 uh companies that are integrated with us of course the the big ones airbnb uh verbo expedia booking.com and about 15 other otas are included there but also also a lot of really groundbreaking technology companies um work with us and we we provide the services package to property manager to uh, to work more effectively mm-hmm. save time save money and increase their revenues that's great, and and I was looking at your, uh, your kind of your history, your background. You, you've a very varied background. You've done a lot of different things, but it looks like a lot of what you had done pri- uh, prior to Hostaway was sort of in like um, internet marketing um, optimization. So, how do you think that that prepared you to ultimately found Hostaway? I think um, online advertising. Uh, the companies that I, that I worked at, none of them really did anything ad. I, I never worked at an ad agency. I, I've, I worked with selling software to ad agencies. But I definitely think having a, a solid 10-year software background before starting a software company is an advantage. And it's something that we've seen over and over again, in especially in this industry. Because if, if you're going to start a software company, um, you're going to... Pr- you're, you're going to want to start it around something that you know something about, something that you're interested in, mm-hmm. and something that the market is big enough. But then there's also the question of, do you actually know how to build software or how to run a software company? That's another factor. Mm-hmm. And, and for a company to be truly successful, these two things, they need to overlap. You mm-hmm. need to have the skills, but you also need to have the interest. And, um, and that's where... Me and my co-founders, because of our technical background, we were able to make sure that we actually have the skills to build mm-hmm. build uh, the technology that we're building. And of course, we were interested in this in this industry. So it it helped tremendously to work at both successful tech companies and unsuccessful com- tech companies. Mm-hmm. Actually, it helps a lot more working at unsuccessful tech companies, <laughs> which yeah. is 
yeah. which is something a lot of employees don't don't appreciate because working at the successful ones, you get promotions, you get more money, you get, yeah. you might get rich, uh, but you're gonna have a real fun time and everyone's happy. But the truth is, you won't learn much yeah. because the company is successful sometimes out of pure luck. It can have terrible terrible product terrible marketing terrible management but they might just be in the right place at the right right time um and and sometimes it's the success you're having in your team is contributed to actually the success of other teams but you don't know it yet because everyone's happy when things are successful and that's why a lot of successful companies go bankrupt because everyone's so happy but nobody has ever seen the sad Mm -hmm. times and when the sad times come everyone just gives up yeah like you're you're running full speed ahead and suddenly you hit a brick wall. Yeah. Well, you're gonna get a bit startled. But yeah. if enough people do that at the same time, then then there's nobody stopping them. And that's uh that's why I think it's it's a good idea to join a couple of future failures as well if you want a tech career. Yeah, you, you made a really good point before we hit play. Actually, we were talking about city council meeting that I just got back from and and you said, you know, we're talking about how politics come into play so much and you know, uh, bureaucratic situations like that and how, you know, people just don't want to make a decision. And a lot of times things just, just, there's no decision and then things just stalemate. But you had a great point that it's better just to make a decision, even if it's the wrong decision, because you will learn from that. And I think that's, that's interesting to see your take on expressing that it's not always perfect, right? I mean, every venture that you go through, it's, it is super important to have that um, information and background on, on what didn't work. Exactly, and it's a it's a numbers game. It's a, it's about uh, no no company has made the right decisions. Google is very successful, and they they wasted a lot of money on on a bunch of products that didn't work. But around eighty percent of the money that they invested came out um, with a very positive return, and mm-hmm. that's that's the same with decision making, whether it's in a big organization or small. Um, if you just make eighty percent the right decisions, things are going to be just fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 80%. It doesn't sound yeah. too bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's really not. But what, yeah. uh, what can be disastrous for yeah. any company that's growing is if you're, you want to be, if you want to make a hundred percent right decisions, what it means is that the time to make the decision gets extended so yes. long that eventually your either your key people leave or your customers leave, or you simply run out of money. Yeah. 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 That lack of lack of decision can, you know, what is it they say? It's an analysis, a paralysis by analysis. If you just sit yeah. around and wonder what you should be doing instead of trying it and doing and iterating and, and trying to make things better, you get a little complacent. And by the time you realize that you're complacent and behind, you're too far behind to catch up. So I think that's that's one thing that is sometimes overlooked with as much investment capital and everything that's coming into vacation rentals and vacation re- rental technology is that you know, sometimes you don't have to be the biggest company on the block. I mean, sometimes as long as your company is run, that it's that hierarchy is there to make decisions quickly. That's really the most important thing at the end of the day. And I know just for our business at Condo World, working in, we're a small business, but it's to be able to make decisions quickly that I only need to go talk to a couple people um, and or they trust me to make the decision myself. I mean, that really allows you to be so much more flexible than when you do have to go through all that red tape to get anything done. And, and I, I do, I've seen this, seen that happen at other companies that they've gotten this great talent that they've recruited to go work for them, but they just get so frustrated because they came from a company like what I'm used to. And then now to have to go through all these different processes, it's like, you just, you never get anything done. 
Yeah, that's right. I um, unfortunately making decisions and especially making wrong decisions. That's a skill you have to learn. Mm -hmm. Nobody's born with it. And I um, I spoke to a a fellow uh, entrepreneur who had just received one million in funding for their tech company, and and she asked me, okay, well, what what am I going to do with this now? And I said, well, then I got good news for you. That one million will be will be very well invested. You will use it to Mm -hmm. hire the wrong people. And if you're lucky, you're going to learn how to hire the right people. Yeah. But please don't go out and think you're going to hire the right people and everything is going to be good because you never hired the wrong people in the past. You need to learn how to hire the wrong people. Otherwise, you can never hire the right people. Yeah. Great perspective. she, She didn't seem happy. But the fact is that it's a lot less stressful. Anything yeah. you do in life, it's a lot less stressful if you accept that the best people who are doing this thing right now, yeah, they they achieved where they are because of a bunch of failures. They didn't sure. achieve it through great success. Yeah. That goes for guitar playing, for golf, for skateboarding. Yeah. All yeah. Of those things you can't learn by doing it right. You have to learn by doing it wrong. And yeah. you have to do it wrong a million times to get it right in the first place. It's the same thing with with running a company. Yeah. So on that, what do you think? What do you think for you? What have you done wrong that's helped you get to where you are now? <laughs> I think uh, raising a bunch of capital to hire the wrong people is definitely. <laughs> 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 it, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, when when investors go in and they put in a lot of money into a company, where, I mean. To be perfectly honest, if if the if the management and the founders and the owners of the company, if they're fully confident in their ability uh, to move the company forward, they're not going to talk to investors. There's there's not there's a lot of good deals on the table, but it's not going to be a good enough deal for someone who really knows what they're doing. Yeah. But of course, investors they they don't want deals that they can't get. So they're going to take the deals that are second tier, you know, those yeah. that will accept funding. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are the ones we we see we read about in the press where people raise yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but they they only do that because uh, because they're not confident enough, or sometimes rarely there's a, a deal that actually makes sense. But it's it's just extremely rare. Um, we we raised a lot of. Not a lot. We raised actually very little by today's standards. Um, but I think that's the most valuable lesson there. When you put in capital somewhere where it shouldn't be in the first place, let's say you put it with people who who don't deserve it because they don't have the experience, there's going to be something magical that happens. And usually what happens is, of course, failure. But then you can learn from that and do it again. In our case, it, it wasn't a complete failure. In fact, it turned out to be a, a massive success in the end. Um, but that's the most valuable lesson I got that, first of all, money can be a catalyst to make something else because it forces you to think in a certain way and act in a certain way. It also forces you to make decisions that you really don't want to make at all. And if you don't have the money, if you don't have the capital available, you won't be forced to make uncomfortable decisions because you can't. You can't. You don't right, have the yeah. money to make yeah. decisions. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I guess money and does provide some luxuries, both negative and positive. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wish I could say here that I, I wish we never raised any capital. But on the other hand, we wouldn't. 
the money in itself didn't help us get to where we are, but the lessons that we learned by raising that yeah. capital and, yeah. and the decisions we had, we were forced to make because we raised that capital is we, we couldn't have done it without it. Wow. What a great perspective. A really good perspective. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that too. Um, I'm curious, Marcus, can you go back to the early years? How did you start Hostway? Let's kind of go back to the beginning. All right. I was, um, <laughs> I started by becoming an immigrant. Uh, my wife and I decided to move to move to Canada and we had never been, uh, but we heard that it was great and we decided to move here. Um, and as we got here, I was looking around thinking what I, what I would do. And I, I thought we'd, we'd rent out one of our properties on, on Airbnb. Yeah. And I started investigating it. Of course, to the listeners who are, are experts, this is going to sound quite, quite far out. But <laughs> I was under the impression there was an app who would take care of everything. Actually, first I looked into Airbnb, but I found out if I got properties around the globe... I'm not going to be able to use Airbnb for that because Airbnb doesn't clean. Airbnb yeah. does. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, what if who, who who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to who's going to take care of everything? Yeah. And I thought there's got to be an app for that. Clearly Airbnb doesn't do it, but there's got to be an app for that. It's amazing by the way how even today there's not really an app for that. Uh, yeah. it's still well, I'm sure most investors that get into it right now think the exact same thing that you did. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, exactly. So I I I thought okay, well there's no app for that. Maybe there's a valid reason for not having an app for that, but it's certainly worth investigating. And I spent about six months investigating the market. What I found out was that you have to keep in mind the time, though. This was in 2015 when um, there was a very clear division between uh, what was called Airbnb, which were small units in city centers. And couches. uh, (laughs) Yes, and couches and spare bedrooms. Um, and and it was an entirely different market from Destin, Florida. There was no Airbnb yeah. in Destin, Florida at all. There were vacation rentals, but they were not intertwined in any way like they are today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I started researching the market, and um, and I started. It was surprisingly easy to find find property managers that were willing to talk to me. Um, I I just reached out. I spoke to around forty property managers um, in in the city of of Toronto, and there were. There were thousands of them really? uh, back then, yeah. Um, and they all told the same story, that this is a great business, but they need the tools to grow their, and manage their business. And um, they specifically need a, a channel manager. And that's what we started building. Um, of course, you can't just build that because that requires you to have connections to Airbnb and Booking.com and, and Verbo and Expedia. And those companies, um, they don't want to deal with you. Not if you're unknown and small. Of course, they want to deal with us today. And in fact, yeah, we're, yeah. we're an elite partner of Verbo. Uh, I was just in Vegas for a week celebrating with them with the Expedia Explorer. Yeah. And, um, and we're a preferred partner of Airbnb and Premier with Booking.com. Um, but that's because now we bring them good business. But back then, when we were starting out, we weren't. And and it's the same today. If you want to set up a business in this industry, well, you got to be someone to yep. Yep. to have a chance to be someone. Mm-hmm. But if you're a nobody, you're not going to have a chance to be someone, which yeah. was exactly the problem we had to overcome. And eventually we overcame it. Um, and and we just started growing the business from there. Yeah. So that's how, that's how we got started. 
We, we talk a lot about finding an, an anchor partner in a market as we're growing. And that's uh, just a strategy that's worked really well for us. And, and that same thing has happened that when we want to go into a new market or want to build a new integration, if the company doesn't know of us, it's like, well, who do you work with that wants you to integrate with us? And as long as we bring somebody with us to the table, <laughs> normally it works fine. But yeah, I definitely understand those struggles because it's like, you you have to have clout in order to get some of these things done, but you can't have clout until you have the experience and you have the people that can vouch that they want to work with you. So it can be a, a tough thing to get started. And I'm sure a lot of companies, that's where they just you know mistakenly think that raising the capital is going to solve that kind of problem. And it's not. I mean, money is not going to get you more partners necessarily. You just you need the experience and really the relationships is what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I. I... I think uh, there's there's a certain element of luck in that, but mm-hmm. it's um, it's also about planting seeds. Yeah. If you if you truly go out on a mission and you want to accomplish something, you want to build a company and get those connections, it's not going to end up looking exactly like you thought it would. But if you just keep planting seeds, just mm-hmm. talk to everyone you can, even if they're the wrong person, maybe they yeah. know someone. Just yeah. keep talking, and year after year, you keep talking to new people just to make sure they know that you're you're on a mission here. Yeah. Then eventually one of those people or one of those connections they have is going to bring something good in front of you. And when when that happens, when you get your lucky break, it's not luck. Yeah. It's um it's it, it may look like that. You may think, "Wow, what is, what are the odds that this person that I spoke to happened to be married to this person who is actually working exactly. in this company yeah. that I'm trying to approach right now?" Yeah. But if you just plant enough seeds with enough time and keep at it, don't stop. Just keep yeah. at it. Eventually, one of those seeds is going to sprout. Yeah. It's connecting all the dots along the way. We talk exactly. about this all the time about yeah. how you know you're building up, even if it's your personal branding, you're building it up over time. And it doesn't seem to make sense as to why you had to take the turns and twists that you did. But then when it, when it all falls into place, it's because it was just meant to fall into place at that exact moment in time. So what you're saying is spot on. And I think along the way too, you probably, that's why you hire some wrong hires, you know, you, you just don't know what you need to know. And you think you've got somebody who has maybe the skill set, but they don't have the relationships or the connections um, that are already kind of built into their repertoire to help you grow. So um, kudos to you, because it sounds like you just, you had a mission, it it got implanted in your brain and that you just drove and drove until you could get it, you know, get it out into the marketplace and make it a reality. Yeah. It was a long drive. Yes. Drive, drive, drive. Yeah. There, there's a good uh, phrase that I, I like to use: ROL, the return on luck. And that's exactly what you just spoke about. I mean, it's oh, like that return. Yeah. It, it, it comes. You finally do see that ROL when you look back and you realize it was all those seeds that planted that. Exactly. Like you said, it could be somebody's wife that is connected to someone you're trying to work with, and you know, somehow in friendships, you end up connecting those dots, but you can't connect the dots until you're farther enough forward to look back and do so. Exactly. Exactly. And and then you should still call it luck because it'd make a much more interesting story. Yeah. yeah, yeah you exactly. know, if, you're, if you got a terrible idea that nobody believes in and you go and tell it to a thousand people. Yeah. And then one of those people turned out to actually believe in it. 
and the other 999 didn't. It's not an interesting story that you go around telling people how you pitched this to 999 people that that didn't believe in it. It's much more interesting if you said, you know, I mentioned this to Joe. Yeah. And you know what happened just six months later? <laughs> yep. yeah, Incredible exactly. luck. Yeah. That's, That's true. How People want it. that story. Yeah, they want yeah. that, that, lo- that gold, the, what is it? The little uh, four-leaf clover to pop up every time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but if you're if you're listening and, and just starting out, don't believe for one second that luck is going to come and save you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not on its own. Definitely not on, not on its, its own. own. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. You have to plant the seeds to grow the four-leaf clover. So. Yeah, yeah. So now with Hostway, I mean, at this point, what what do you see as what's what are the main objectives at this point? I mean, you're very well established and you've planted those seeds and you've gotten in pretty good um, use within the market. But what what are your goals for bringing the company to the next the next Hostway? I think uh, at least for me personally, what really motivates me right now is the way the industry is moving. Uh, There's a lot of consolidation going on. Uh, There's a lot of investments uh, being made into the industry. There's also on the property management level, a lot of changes coming ahead. Um, And that really motivates me because I'm a I'm a wartime CEO, not a peacetime CEO. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if everything is stable and everything is is fine, uh, I'm actually bored. But <laughs> right now, I'm terribly excited about. <laughs> yeah. about the Definitely future. not boring. Yeah. 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 No, I, I want I want to see our competitors raise a lot of capital and then come and compete with us. I want to yeah. see other competitors raise a lot of capital and then fail miserably. I, I <laughs> really, really enjoy that right that's, now. That's honest. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're in a, in a really good position right now. We, we really don't need to do much. We're going to improve everything that we're doing today. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to build stronger teams um, and, and take over the world like every other company aims world domination uh, yeah (laughs) but but, uh we reach a stage now where we don't need any any magical tricks to do it we just need we found our formula we just need to keep doing it yeah so how do you see um as it relates to your competitors how do you see your differentiators because i think there's a few others that are kind of operating in a similar space in that they are a multi um a multi-solution within one platform um, for a PM. So they don't have to go. And we've talked to, to a lot of CEOs from different tech companies and talking about the um, the volatility within the tech stacks. Uh, you know, there's consolidation going on. There's too many pieces of a tech stack for a PMC to have to manage. It's becoming cumbersome to manage. It's becoming expensive. And so there's are, there are a lot more solutions that are kind of an all-in-one. And so how do you see yourself against your competitive set in terms of your differentiators or maybe what's going to catalyze you to world domination, if you will. Uh, there's really, really two USPs that we have. One is the channel connections. I mean, just objectively speaking, if you if you wanted to take someone who's a premier partner of Booking.com and an elite partner of Verbo and uh, a preferred partner of Airbnb and has a direct API integration with Expedia, Marriott, and Google Travel, mm-hmm. um, there's pretty much only one company in the entire on this entire planet who has all of that. Really? Wow. Yes. Wow. I dare you to find another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's that interesting. So what, uh, what is the one thing that people don't normally have that you have of those connections? Well, I mean, either you have, um, you have strong verbal Expedia connections, maybe you have, you have Airbnb 
um, but then then you don't have have the others. Mm-hmm. So so the benefit of going with a strong channel manager is that when things change, for example, tomorrow is May 11th. Airbnb is going to announce some very yeah. big changes. Yeah. Now, if you were to be a preferred partner of Airbnb, you were to be prepared for those changes in advance. Now, if you were not the preferred partner, you would not have any time to prepare and you would have to be reactive. Now, for the clients, that means that whatever's going on in marketing, whatever's the new big thing, they're going to be six months behind their competition unless they're using someone who's who's a preferred or premier partner. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So with that update that's coming tomorrow, Annie and I were just talking about this yesterday, what what do you think is going to be part of that? Are you probably, you might know, I don't know if you can share, but any insights on that? I I can't really comment on whether I know or not, uh, (laughs) but I'm I'm pretty sure considering their good good growth, I'm pretty sure they're going to announce something along the lines of, COVID is over and we're going to dominate, dominate yeah. the world, yeah. take over the world. Yeah. But, but we'll know, we'll know tomorrow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, in, in Europe, they charge 14%, right? And so that's been a lot of the talk, I think, is that that's going to come to the States to asking both of you, Annie, because you might know better than I do too. Do you think that that is going to happen in the near term? We're seeing it with some of our partners. I don't know. I can't speak. Yeah. I can't speak broadly, Marcus. You might know more. Are they doing it by partner, or or is it going to be a blanket policy? It's a market thing, so far as I've seen. But Marcus, yeah. again, he's a preferred. I'm, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> he might know better. Yeah. So the 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 fee structure. Um, I'm not. I'm now gonna pretend that I'm not a partner of Airbnb. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna speak as an outsider. Yeah. Um, if you look at other industries, they tend to try different business models and monetization models. For example, if you look at the car industry, how they're selling cars, the way the revenues are are divided between the distributor, um, the factories, the, the one who owns the brand, and how the, all of that is, is separated. Um, when one car company finds the formula, the others have it, and then suddenly it's the, the industry norm, the industry mm-hmm. standard. Um, for OTAs, there already is an industry standard, and Airbnb hasn't been following it. And the industry standard is that you bring them business, and they give you a kickback. Mm-hmm. Airbnb hasn't been doing that. They have been actually owning a part of the value chain. So they say, look, you don't need to pay us at all. In fact, we're going to pay you. Yeah. Which is the opposite value proposition that some compared to uh, Booking.com, who says, you're going to pay us, but we're going to bring you all the business. But they didn't go out and say, we're going to pay you. That's what Airbnb did. Now, the challenge with that, um, and this is purely my personal opinion, not as an Airbnb partner, I think the challenge is going to be on the stock market. Because if you got an industry that's very standardized, where everyone's doing the same thing, it's going to be very hard for any analyst to suddenly work with a different business model. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Airbnb just needs to play the game in the same way that everyone else is playing. Yeah. yeah. What do you think in, in on that note, what do you think about, there's a lot of new channels that have kind of come out the last 
I say year, but I mean, they've been kind of been, I think, in, in modeling for longer than a year that are going in lower commission or lower fee to the consumer and much lower commission to the partners. Do you think that there's staying power there? And will that ultimately disrupt the way, uh, you know, Expedia booking and Airbnb are doing business? Or do you think that they'll ultimately get bought by these larger ones? So, you know, again, going to the, the conversation of consolidation, what, what do you foresee is going to happen on the channel side of things? Um, on the channel side right now, things are pretty, pretty good. Um, but they, they all face the same challenges that the big ones are facing. Um, and that's lack of inventory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People want to book. There's nothing available to book. And there's, of course, a lot of reasons for that. But let's say if I, I was managing an OTA and I wanted to compete with Airbnb, I'd say the easiest way to get inventory and get more inventory than Airbnb is to have more money than Airbnb. Challenge with that, though, is that Airbnb has has a couple of billion, and so does Expedia, and so does Booking.com. If I don't have several billion dollars on my bank account, how am I going to be able to compete? Mm -hmm. How am I going to be able to advertise to get the inventory? Right. Right now, I don't need to spend any money on advertising to consumers. Well, any money is relative, let's say. With, with 10 million, you can get people to your website yeah. and they will try to book. But if you have nothing to sell them, then it's going to be mm-hmm. tough. So I can see from a, an investor point of view that they, they want to invest in OTAs. But when I speak to new OTAs, uh, I always say, you do, and I speak a lot to them as, as we have them integrating with us, you don't need 100 million today, but your business plan needs to have a path to getting 100 million. Because you won't be successful unless you have that. You won't be able to compete with the marketing budgets of the Airbnbs and the smaller ones of this world unless yeah. you have that. Yeah, yeah that's very And that, that advice still stands today. It's just today the marketing needs to be catered towards the, the property managers and the property owners rather than yeah. the travelers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've um, they've made it hard for everybody to compete. And I know here in our local market, I mean, we're considered or we consider ourselves, I think other people do too, a hybrid OTA model that we're property management, but we also operate our website as an OTA regionally and in a few other areas for other professionally managed properties. And, you know, it's when we first started this venture about seven years ago, the plan was immediately go for world domination, get all the markets, but quickly realized that that was not affordable. You know, we're, we are not accepting funding and uh, that was not the plan and, and probably won't be the plan, but we realized we had to grow much more organically than that. And that's, you know, for a company that wants to come in and become the massive OTA, it's, it would have, our process would be taking way too long for what their goals are. But we've been able to do it in a more curated relationship way that it's worked and is profitable. Um, but it's, it is definitely a challenge. I mean, we can't go out there and just get properties from anywhere and think we can easily advertise them um, to the extent that Verbo and Airbnb can. But you know, I, I think with Airbnb, one of the threats is, I mean, if, if they are to raise the commission from 5% to 14%, you know, it's the don't build your house in someone else's land concept. I mean, where does that end? You know, it, it, they could come back to everybody and any of the channels could come back. But, but Airbnb and Verbo, they're already charging uh, around 15, 20% in the US. So if someone someone gets a credit card statement that says you paid 1000 to Airbnb, the amount that the property manager gets 
they'll, they'll get a they'll get a, a line that says 900 minus 5% or minus 4%. Right, yeah, if if you yeah, have it but, set, but the total so. the total difference between what the guest pays yeah, is the pretty guests, much yeah. the same on on all the OTAs. So there's it's between 15 and 20% the difference yeah. with what the guest pays and what the property manager gets. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not about more or less money for Airbnb. I mean, they yeah. they get the same percentage overall in in regardless of the payment model. It's right. more about the business model. Just about who's actually paying the money. Yeah. So okay. is it going to yeah is it going to shift then? Do you think so that because right now you have the option on Airbnb that either the guest or the host can pay the traveler fee, but are you is it going in the direction that it's going to be the host has to pay it? Well, the host pays already pays it today. I think it's yeah, they just do. The technicality. They just yeah, they yeah, do, you, yeah. You, I mean, if you if you're selling a place uh, for nine hundred, and the guest pays the guest fee, the guest doesn't pay nine hundred. They pay one thousand. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it's we, already we being a, paid today. Yeah. And as we, a host, you get you get eight hundred fifty. Mm-hmm. Now, if we were to switch that around and say the host pays the fees, the host would still get eight hundred fifty. The guest would still pay one thousand. It's the same outcome. It's the exact same money. Yeah. In one case, Airbnb takes fifteen percent. In the other case, Airbnb takes fifteen percent. Or to right. put it in another way, right. in one case, the guest but it's, pays but it's, it, for the property manager. They're making less because right now on Airbnb specifically, we have it so that the guest is paying the traveler fee. But if that moves over so that we're paying that, that definitely becomes a higher higher commission for us. But are you are you marking your rates up? So like our partners mark their rate up to cover that fee. Yeah. So exactly. yes, the guest theoretically is paying it, but ultimately the PM is losing it off the rate, but they're marking it up. So I think again it's it's the markup game that everyone and then, yeah. and, then and and then also yeah. how uh, I mean you're you're managing properties on behalf of others. Uh, yeah. there's there's money at 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 least four different stages. One is in the guests pocket they have a thousand then there's money um that comes in to the property manager mm-hmm. so there's a stage in between when it when the money leaves the pocket of the guest that comes into the property manager mm-hmm. now that's relevant because that's where all the fees including whatever's being paid to airbnb five or 15 um can be paid either by the guest or the property manager or the owner of the property mm-hmm. and that's where you get to decide and then there's a stage when the money is in the property manager's pocket. That's when they remove expenses. But then there's also another stage when it moves to the owner's pocket. Right. And that's another point where you can put in the yeah. extra fees. For example, a credit card processing fee could be removed from that. Mm-hmm. So in, in the end, you know, it's it's still a thousand and you get 850, regardless of, of how you divide that 15%. But it's about where do you put the fees and what does the agreement with the owners say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a good point. and the money to the owners comes from the consumers. Mm-hmm. So you want to market it in a way that's attractive to as many consumers as possible. And that's exactly what companies like Airbnb, they have more data than any property manager. They know yeah. if you, yeah. if you have an extra, um, if you have a high cleaning fee, for example, yeah. there's going to be less bookings. They know yeah. that because they, they can look at the data points yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, and and that's where they're really good. And that's where I think they Airbnb, I would make the case that if you if you give the 
the person who's booking two options, one with an extra fee for Airbnb and one without <laughs> an extra fee, yeah, but a higher yeah. price, I think they'll choose the one without the extra fee. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Makes well, sense. I think we could, um, we could um, try to dissect Airbnb all day long. I think that's like the, <laughs> the hot topic for everybody um, to discuss. It's going to be interesting to see what they do announce and, and we'll come back and get your opinion on that, Marcus. Obviously um, I think you'll have some, some um, nice comments and commentary about how it works out and, and maybe the future of it. But I think, um, you know, for us, like, what we want to do is talk about, you know, host away and, and what you guys are doing to change the industry. And one of the things that we've been seeing a lot, and I kind of alluded to it a little earlier, was there's a lot of consolidation going on um, within the industry. And again, kind of to b- building what you already have in place, these technology stacks that are kind of all in one. What are you seeing and what do you think about consolidation as it stands now, not only with the property managers, but within the technology side? So it's uh, it's important to keep in mind that anything that happens right now is determined by um, by the macro and microeconomic environment that we have right now. Um, so for example, it's easy to have consolidation going on when there's a lot of capital flowing in. What if that capital doesn't flow in? Suddenly it gets very hard to do consolidations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that goes both on the tech side and property management side as well. Now, another aspect here is that one argument that I've heard on why consolidation in the property management space isn't actually going to help is that when when a bigger company acquires a smaller company, typically what happens is the prices go up and the service level goes down. Um, and that's across any industry. And I'm sure it's true in our industry as well. I would any other thing would be just superficial. Sometimes you acquire companies, you keep the standard there for a few years so that you earn people's trust and then you lower standards or raise prices or both. Um, Now, an argument that some people are making is that, well, if you remove one property management company, the the owners are just going to switch to whoever comes in and says, we're going to do more work for less money. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's going to be very easy to enter the market the moment someone's being bought up. And then the value that the acquirer bought evaporates over time. Um, now, the reason I said that there's a, we're in a specific moment of history right now is that that whole equation changes when you suddenly get everything turned upside down. We have the industry for the last 20 years have been focusing on how to attract travelers. But for the last 18 months or so, it's been the opposite. Yeah, we how to get owners. <laughs> yes, or or how how to actually get the properties. Yeah. yeah. So suddenly, maybe those acquisitions start making sense when you got limited amount of properties. Let's say you have a beach with 50 beach houses. Now, if you acquire the property manager who's managing 20 out of 50 houses, then that's 20 out of 50 houses. They can't build more. There's no lots available on that mm-hmm. beach and they get something that nobody else can have, which is those 20 houses. If they can acquire another company that has 30, they'll have 100% market share. And of course, there's other beaches around, but still, um, whatever decisions are being made today, that will change the moment we go back to how do we attract travelers? Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a massive economic boom in North America. There's uh, almost no unemployment at all. And, um, and there's, there's uh, yeah, a, a lack of workforce, 
basically everyone who had a job, they have been able to switch to a more well-paying job. Right, yeah. And and as a result of it, they can afford to take more vacations. Yeah. And more expensive vacations. And as a result of that, companies make more money, they can pay more dividends so other people can take even more expensive vacations. That's why rates are going up. But mm-hmm. at some point, that stops. Right. Unless we're going to see an unprecedented economic boom that lasts the next 10 years, which would be in history quite original because yeah. the economy started going well in 2011. That's 11 years ago. Are yeah. we going to do another 10 years? Of yeah, yeah. Hard to imagine. <laughs> of rocket launch? Yeah. Or are we going to settle down? Are things yeah. going to get a bit worse from now on? People will yeah. start losing their jobs. They won't get a raise. They won't get a promotion. They might even get laid off. Yeah. That's the question. And that's that's when this consolidation, it changes the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, just watching prices this year has just been like a roller coaster. I mean, we started out early in the year, and I don't mean we, I mean, just the beach markets, the big vacation markets, so high. And then now pace has slowed since about mid-March. And I was talking to one manager today and they said, you know, we're slashing prices and we plan to slash them more. I'm like, all the gains that you made earlier in the year now are essentially a wash (laughs) if, if you get to that point. And it's really, it's creating two different problems that one, the people that booked earlier in the year at that premium price when they get here, is the product going to be what they were expecting exactly. for that you know amount that they paid? Um, and then two, when you have to drop the prices that low, are you getting the guests that we really want to have? And I think we were all, as an industry or in certain areas, very excited about the potential that COVID gave all of us to be able to raise rates and more than just an incremental hair. I mean, now, now we've actually raised rates to a lot closer to what they should be for as much as value as the destination offers and the product offers, but there's going to be a leveling out. I think, I mean, I think this is still going to be a good year, but it's going to be more close to 2019. And then next year is just really even more of a question mark to me right now than it was a few months ago, just because of what's happened so far this year. So a lot, a lot of different changes come in. And I think further consolidation on, on the vendor side and tech side and property managers side uh, combined with a lot of new owners coming into the market, that they're coming in as short-term rental, uh, you know, investors, and they're buying a bunch of properties, and they don't know what they're doing, <laughs> and they're either trying it on their own or they're bringing it to a professional company. But uh, it's an interesting time to be in the industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the laws of supply and demand are really being tested right now. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, they're not being tested, but they're put in a very interesting perspective because you got so many factors right now affecting both supply yeah, and demand. Right, exactly, opposite direction. So, so you just mentioned that there's people who are entering the market by investing into short-term rentals, but at the same time, there's inventory being taken out. Yeah, and yeah, and if if yeah. the prices drop, yeah, with the increase in rents, you can make more money on the long-term side. Yeah, so that's going to take off supply. Yeah, and yeah. then there's people also buying to live in the places, but then you have people adding to the supply. So it's yeah. that's why I say there's there's so many factors affecting both the supply and the demand right now that is is really interesting to see. Yeah. And and the price is of course the outcome of that equation, but the, the factors within that equation, they change so dramatically. So the price mm-hmm. is basically a just a side product. It's an afterthought. It's it's um but but of course that price it has to be something that a large amount of people can afford to buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. or pay otherwise yeah. it doesn't make sense when when you're you know one week beach, 
beach vacation costs you half a million. Yeah. And a lot of people will start thinking on whether they can actually afford it. Yeah. And they might just vacation now once every two or three years, if it's going to be at that price. I mean, most yeah. people can't afford to do that every year now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Alex. I thought you were yeah. going to ask another question. No. Um, so I think um, kind of to, to wrap things up, uh, Marcus, would love to get your thoughts on where you think your host away is going to be in a couple of years. Like, what is your direction Obviously, world domination, we've established that. And I think you're well on your way to doing it. Um, but do you see you guys getting into maybe more traditional hotel lodging? What, what is it that is on the, the horizon for Hostaway? Um, there, there's a lot of paths to, to take. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to share anything right now, but uh, uh, I think we're going to just keep doing what we're doing right now. And, and the reason I'm, I'm saying that is that I think it's a bit too early to start talking about um, hotels, long-term rentals, multifamily. There's there's a lot of industries that are wondering how they get in because mm-hmm. everyone wants into this space yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that also means that a lot of big companies are going to invest hundreds of millions to make mistakes that I can learn from which in turn will save me hundreds of millions, mm-hmm. which is why I'm not so excited about going and investing into, into <laughs> expanding into other areas right now, because I know there's people with more experience and more money than me who can do that, but I can learn from their mistakes. Sure. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That's, that's what I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Makes a smart lot of perspective. Sense. Well, Marcus, we, we normally send you or we send our guests a couple questions to ask at the end and we, we sent them to you and you said that you would be open to answering any of them. So Annie, you get to pick from the list because I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> okay. Okay. What would Marcus of today tell Marcus who was 21 about your journey to where you are now? Good, uh, good question. Um I think don't uh, take money. <laughs> hire the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> no, first of all, go go get a job. I mean, yeah. really get and get get a lot of work experience. Yeah. Because without that, you won't have the perspective to manage other people. For example, right. when you're if you just start a company as a 21-year-old and you start hiring people, those people are gonna have expectations on what a workplace is supposed to be like, what a career looks like. Now, if you've never seen that firsthand, you're going to see to be very detached from reality. And you, because you are, because you haven't done a career yourself. So my first advice would be to do exactly that. Um, but then I think the the only advice that I would give is the one that I wouldn't even listen to. Um, <laughs> but it's it's ironically to actually listen to the advice. Yeah. Uh, my wife told me when I was starting Hostaway, hey, you should read this book. Uh, it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I've heard of that and, book, but I haven't read it. But have to put that down on our list. Write that down. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a couple of points in history when I was almost breaking down. And, and at one, one, one of those points, I picked up that book and it really saved my life and it oh, saved wow. my my company it's uh, oh, wow. i i just wish i had read it when my wife said i should read it <laughs> I, was, I was too busy starting her company i think it yeah. would have saved saved me from a lot of heartache oh wow hopefully you like, listen to your wife more now yeah that's a great yes ab- absolutely <laughs> absolutely but, yeah. but one thing about advice that i i didn't 
I wish someone would have told me, um, maybe myself would have told me, do keep in mind that the, the, the background of the people that are giving the advice. For example, there's a lot of, a lot of successful um, business people who go out and say, you need to focus on the culture. Or they, they go out and say, hire the right, surround yourself with the right people. Now, this is the type of advice that is 100% correct, because that is the only way of doing things and being successful. However, it's not the, it's a type of advice that has a survivorship bias. If you put 100 people in a race with only one winner, that's the advice the winner would say. Yeah. But the other 99, if you tell them the same advice, they still can't win. Because there's yeah. only one winner in that race. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's something that was very confusing for me when I started out was all the advice that was available. It didn't help me at all because I was one of those 99. Right. I needed the, basically, if it's a race to run, the advice is run faster. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe the advice is, hey, you're low on, um, on, on uh, yeah, you need, you, need, you need to drink more water. <laughs> you know, simple advice like yeah. that. Simple advice, yeah. Like to exactly. come and say, yeah. you know, just have a goal and aim for it. Yeah, yeah, that's great for that one person who actually won the race. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Maybe people are too focused on having their advice be more profound. Right. Than that's being what helpful. I was thinking too. Yeah. 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 It's more, you know, sometimes you just need the basic advice that could really change somebody's complete trajectory. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the sad thing when you go and, and look at trade shows and you go and look at um, when, when you listen to podcasters, everyone wants to interview the successful people, yeah. but they have that survivor bias. They, they have yeah. the bias of success. Yeah. But actually, you don't learn much from that. If someone says, build a good company culture. What most companies need is money. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really that simple. You have expenses and you have income. And yeah. when you start a company, your income is zero and your expenses are, well, at uh, bare minimum, you need food. Because yeah. 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 it's hard to survive without food and water and shelter. You need that at bare minimum. But nobody on stage is ever going to go and say that. Yeah. Because those that are successful, they are, they, they have forgot about that. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think your perspective on everything is just super interesting and insightful. And we appreciate Honest. all the learnings that, I, I mean, I know I've learned a lot today. Yeah. And I think just really interesting to hear what you've told us and really appreciate you being so candid <laughs> about Absolutely. it too. But I think, you know, planting seeds, I think that's the most important takeaway. And it's just so true. I mean, the importance of planting seeds and knowing that you have to just keep doing it and that you are going to get that return on luck and that it is going to finally come back and you're going to realize why all those connections were there in the first place. And that's really, it's been a theme of why Annie and I started this podcast actually. So happy to hear somebody of your stature and success (laughs) say the same thing. uh, Marcus, if if people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? I would recommend uh, LinkedIn, just open up your browser and type in Marcus Hostaway LinkedIn, or even just Marcus Hostaway and you'll find me. 
Yeah. We'll, we'll include in the show notes, um, how to get in touch with you and like to your LinkedIn, as well as to host away. If anybody wants more information about the amazing suite of products that they have. And in the meantime, if you want to contact Annie and I, you can go to alexandannypodcast.com. Or if you're enjoying the show, please go on our site or to Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a review and we will see everybody next time.